Hello and welcome back to Mid-South Moments. I'm your host Stephen Gutteridge uh, and this week we'll be looking at the 24th of December 1983 and 31st of December 1983 episodes of Mid-South Wrestling. That's right, you're in for a real treat. We've got a double bumper episode edition of Mid-South Moments. Um, first of all, just an update on, on what I've been doing the last couple of weeks, so apologies for no episode. Um, I was actually lucky enough to be in Tokyo for the Wrestle Kingdom events. Uh, I had a fantastic time. Um, hopefully many of you have seen the events. If you haven't, I'd encourage you to go out of your way to do so. Um, just a phenomenal weekend. Um, Tokyo is just a fantastic city. Going into t- the Tokyo Dome with all the history that surrounds it um, it's just, just was just a marvellous, marvellous experience. Some fantastic matches. Also caught one of the All Japan shows as well. So um, lots of incredible wrestling. Um, and there's nothing I would rather do after seeing Naito and Okada main event the second night at the Tokyo Dome and Naito unify the titles to come back home and watch two episodes of Mid-South Wrestling. So let's go straight into it with the December 24th episode. Firstly, and devastatingly, um, this it, this episode, which is episode 225, um, only has a version on YouTube that hasn't got any sound, which is particularly unhelpful. Um, so I had to revert back to the WWE Network version, where while the picture quality is a significant upgrade, um, obviously the original music is missing, um, which is a big part of the charm of these shows. Um, so Bill Watts opens wearing a tremendous looking flat cap and beige blazer and he says that he hopes all of the viewers are having a great holiday period um, and that Boyd is away on a Christmas vacation sadly. Um, Watts says they're looking forward to 1984 being their best year ever and with a lot of new stars in the way to Mid-South. This week we've got Hacksaw Dugan versus what is being called the, or who is being called the Turncoat Kosha Darso now plus a television main event of Lanny Poffo and Iceman King Parsons versus Hacksaw Butch Reed and Jim Neidhart. We also have Terry Taylor and the Midnight Express. So we cut to Jim Ross giving an update on Magnum TA, who Jim Ross calls Magnum Terry Allen. Um, Mr. Wrestling 2 is taking Magnum through a stretching exercise. Then we cut to some squats. Um, Ross says that it appears that 2 is focusing and emphasising on the lower body. And 2 says that they are trying to develop power, strength and drive as TA smashes out some leg curls. TA is sporting an excellent pair of white added attractive bottoms here. And we go back to Watts, who says they've been looking at the, the that what uh, we've been seeing is the price that top athletes have to pay to be at the top of their sport. So first up, we have Mr. Wrestling 2 in action versus Larry Higgins with Jim Ross and Magnum TA in commentary. Magnum says that he's grown to have a great deal of admiration for Mr. Wrestling after all the time they've spent together in the gym. Um, in the introductions, Larry Higgins looks remarkably like an out-of-shape Val Venus. Uh, Magnum says that 2 is always on guard and won't allow Higgins to sucker punch him. Two ties Higgins up in a leg lock before Big Larry makes the ropes. Two continues to work over the leg as Magnum states in commentary that this is going to be his key plan in trying to win this match. Two goes back to the legs before Higgins comes back with some punches. More attempts at a leg lock from two in what is quite a dull encounter, sadly. Higgins goes for something off the ropes and completely misses and takes a hilarious looking bump on his back. Finally, two hits the knee lift for the pin in three minutes and 50 seconds that feel like they were 10 times longer. Also, unless my eyes escape me as we move forward to the next match, the ring announcer appears to be Boyd Pierce wearing an absolutely unbelievable orange and brown checkered suit, um, which I'm actually going to give 10 out of 10 on the Boyd Pierce fashionometer. However, we've just been told by Bill Watts that Boyd Pierce is on Christmas vacation, so are we to assume that the vacation is only from the commentary booth, but he's actually taking his holiday in the wrestling ring? Very odd. 
So Darso versus Dugan is next. Um, this is this is considered a grudge match, but there's not much fanfare. Um, and they trade punches straight at the bell. And on commentary, we have what must surely be the first ever on-air combination of Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler, um, who also can't say Duggan. Um, Darso with shaved head and big physique looks great here, and he's particularly menacing. Jim Ross says that the Americans have to take a stand, and Jerry Lawler agrees. He says he can't understand Darso's actions, and he feels it'll only be a matter of time before he realises what a terrible, terrible mistake he's made. Duggan's work, unfortunately, looks particularly rough here, um, with Darso seemingly the more polished competitor. At 2.53, the ref takes a great-looking bump to the outside after being knocked into by Darso. Um, Volkov, Volkov then hits the ring, and while the ref is down on the outside, um, he swaps places with Darso, and he, and he bizarrely pins Duggan after just one boot to the head in 3.17. Um, this is a really strange finish, and, and Ross implores on commentary that it's the wrong man in the ring. Um, Volkov ho- holds up Darso's hand on the outside, um, and that appears to be it. And I think they really should have had Volkov hit his finish on Dugan here, because what actually happened made Duggan look very, very weak. Um, in the melee afterwards, Magnum TA comes out to the ring to explain what ha- what's actually happened. Um, and then ref Pee Wee Anderson um, comes out and the decision is actually, actually ultimately reversed into a DQ and a win for Duggan. Um, all the men brawl. Um, Butch Reed comes out and goes at it with TA. Nightheart comes out and the heels take over. Eventually, Mr. Wrestling 2, the Iceman King Parsons and Lanny Poffo come out for the save while Volkov and co head out. Um, this wasn't a bad segment to build up the various feuds and dissension between the main heels and faces, um, but Dugan should have really been a little bit more protected in that first pinfall, albeit he ultimately got the decision with the DQ win in the end. Coco Ware and Mike Jackson versus the Midnight Express up next. Um, Cornette brutalises the ghost vacation in Boyd Pierce with a line in the ring. Where did you get that suit? The guy couldn't guess your weight. Did you lose a bet? Cornette says that he's managed the most awesome tag team of all time before they come out to the butchered WWE Network version of their theme. Um, Jim Cornette then joins Ross on commentary. Um, There's some lovely exchanges between Eaton and Jackson. As always, the in-ring quality goes up several notches when the Express are out there. Um, Coco Ware takes a brutal-looking turnbuckle bull shot after missing a splash in the corner. Um, Eaton hits a, a great knee drop from the second rope. Cornette is putting over on commentary how the Midnight Express may be smaller than other tag teams, but they are deadly because they are so much faster. Jackson then takes a nice-looking bump into the ropes from a conjuring slingshot. Um, Cornette says he played the stock market for a while, but it was way too easy for him, so he decided to move into his real love, professional wrestling, and develop what he believes is going to be the greatest tag team of all time. The Midnight Express then hit the Midnight Massacre after 4.54 of really good action for the win. And then up next, we have Some Days Are Diamonds featuring Terry Taylor. Um, what? What says that Taylor is a youngster who has impressed him a lot? And then we go into a video package with some almost romantic music playing in the background while Taylor is showing various clips. So I wanted to know what the actual song was played here. So I googled Some Days Are Diamonds and came across a very melancholy 1981 track by John Denver, R.I.P., I mean, it is a bit of a weird one showing a wrestler being successful to a track which is more designed to be listened to if you've been dumped by your significant other. I mean, this is a sort of song that I can imagine you sitting there with a big tub of Haagen-Dazs or Ben & Jerry's absolutely crying your eyes out while listening to, not watching um, Terry Taylor smash someone with a forearm or pin a big brute heel wrestler. Um, I'm not sure if these shots uh, of Terry Taylor are from previous Mid-South events or if there was some territory-by-territory territory tape showing back then um, when wrestlers moved around, which would make a lot of sense. 
Um, and this goes on a bit longer than really is needed and is lacking really any context. Um, back to Watts and he says that he's sure that all the ladies will enjoy Terry Taylor and they'll be here in two weeks. Um, television main event time of Iceman King Parsons and Lanny Poffo versus Butch Reed and Jim Neidhart up next. Introduced first to the reigning tag team champions and then out comes Parsons and the lack of Sister Sledge is like a hole in my heart. Um, Jim Ross is rejoined by Jerry Lawler for this non-title encounter. Um, Lawler says he's sure that Reed and Neidhart are happy this is non-title because Poffo and Parsons could have ended up taking the titles had it been with the gold on the line. Um, Lawler says that Poffo has more moves than any other wrestler he's seen around the country. Um, After some back and forth action, we are for the first time heading to a break mid-match here. Watts explains that if there's a decision during the break, they'll bring it to us when we're back. Um, after the break, Watts tells the director to head back to the ring and we join Nightheart and Parsons in a, in a test of strength. Um, Reed takes over on Parsons with the front face lock. Parsons eventually makes his way out and hits a big suplex. Poffo gets in and hits some good-looking kicks and punches before all men go at it in the ring. All four men go at it in the ring. Um, Reed then slams Parsons into the ring post on the outside, and Nightheart takes over on Poffo, who and then applies yet another front face lock. Um, Parsons is busted open on the outside and the referee leads him away. Um, Poffo fights on, hits Reed with a drop kick but can't stay on top for long. Poffo comes back again and tries to roll up on Nightheart. Um, and this ultimately ends up feeling like a bit of a showcase of Poffo um, as the whole story of the match is him surviving by himself against the tag team champions. Jim Ross unfortunately calls Lanny Ran- Randy while Poffy- Poffo continues. No, I've- I'm t- making fun of Jim Ross for calling Lanny Randy and then I mess up Poffo, so I got what I deserved there. Um, Reed takes over and slams Poffo's throat across the top rope. Nightheart is then in there with a huge slam. Um, there's quick tags between the champions and Poffo is in increasing trouble here. Um, Lawless says in commentary that the best thing for Poffo to do would be to concede the match, just give it up before any long-lasting damage is caused. Um, there's a gorilla slam from Reed. Iceman then makes it back out to the ring with his head wrapped in a bandage. Um, he attacks both men. They all brawl and the referee calls to the bell in 10.51 for double DQ. Um, this was a nice showcase match for Poffo, um, but really was a weak finish. Um, what says that that match, Poff- that match proves that Poffo has a lot of heart and whatever happens, you can't scare the Iceman. Next week on Mid-South, um, we have a first, which is a TV steel, ca- sorry, a first on television, which is a steel cage match for the tag team titles. Also, Mr. Wrestling 2 is putting his mask up. So if Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA don't beat Butcher Reed and Jim Neidhart, the mask is coming off. We also have in two weeks' time something I am personally very excited about, which is Country Music Association's Country Comic of the Year from 1972 to 1981, Jerry Clower, and he's going to drop in on his favourite wrestling show. The big question I want to know is, what did Jerry do in 1982 and 1983 to not win the Country Music Association's Country Comic of the Year Award after having such an incredible run? What did he do? Did his gags run out of steam? Did he say something controversial? Did the, did the Mid-South area turn against him? I don't know, but let's hope we find out next week. Watts also says there's going to be a TV title tournament um, with a $10,000 prize in store. Um, this is a decent episode. Uh, the Poffo showcase was good, um, but a couple of bad finishes hurt the earlier encounters. Um, and then, now, we move on to the December 31st, 1983 episode, the very last episode of Mid-South Wrestling in 1983. So, fantastically, on finding this episode in the WWE Network, um, they actually spoilt the result of the tag team title match um, with their picture. So, uh, this, this set me wondering... Can you complain about spoilers 
37 years after an episode aired. I think so, because I've just done it. Um, what's thanks to fans for the fact that in the five states that Mid-South airs, that they were the number one show in all of those locations during their time slot. Um, what says that they're continuing a new concept of sending their cameras on the road again for the training sessions of Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA. And now for the first time ever, 2 has shared the secrets of the million dollar knee lift. It then shows some absolutely unbelievable footage of 2 and Ross holding a bag of sand and TA taking running shots at it, trying to burst it. After two or three decent looking knee lifts, but no sand split, two takes over and immediately splits that sand, stating, that's the way you do it, pal. That's the way you do it. Um, what says then that we can still see who the master of the knee lift is, but TA is coming along nicely? So the tag team title bout, as we discover um, shortly into this episode, is not part of the normal television tapings, and actually was from a Christmas Day live event that took place in New Orleans at the Municipal Auditorium. Um, so we join the match in progress and the camera angle is dreadful. It's situated in the corner um, and it's not impossible to see through the cage. Um, the cage itself is not a traditional one um, in the sense that the sides are on the ground, um, a little bit like the ha a Hall in a Cell, um, but without a roof. Um, and Watts is providing commentary of what is basically clips. Um, so if you're tuning in to see the full match based on what she said last week, um, I think you'd probably be feeling a bit, little, little bit ripped off by this. Um, during the, during the, these clips, which... which I guess run concurrently, but they, they jump around a bit. So you're not seeing, you know, two or three minutes of the match. You're seeing a move or a, a section and it jumps forward. Um, Watts goes out on a, on a tangent about his pre-match pre dinner conversation about Mr. Wrestling 2's mask. Um, Nightheart and Reed take over and there's great bumps um, after that when Mr. Wrestling 2 gets back into it and hits him with the knee lift. Um, must say the highlights are really, really jarring. I'm not sure why they couldn't just show the last five minutes of the match um, rather than the constant cuts. And Watts' commentary is not helping at all. Um, he said that the match is highlights, um, but he goes in one breath from commentating like it's actually happening at, in front of him and he doesn't know what's going to happen, to then saying, oh, when I first saw this, I thought... Um, so, yeah, it's really uh, it's quite a difficult Watts, uh, watch. Difficult Watts, no pun intended. Difficult watch. Um, Nightheart pulls two up from after his, uh, his finishing fall away slam that usually gets the pin um, and Reed is upset allegedly though doesn't really appear to be on the outside um, Nightheart then rips Mr. Wrestling 2's mask off um, but 2 is cunning and he has a second mask on underneath um, TA comes in and hits the belly to belly for the win um, the match itself actually went 16 and a half minutes and this is TA's first title in Mid-South albeit he had been tag team champion um, in the Florida promotion on a number of occasions before this so after the break, we head backstage for an interview with the new champions. Two says that TA has lived up to every expectation he's ever had for him. Um, he says that never give up is his motto. It's a fighting battle until the end. TA didn't give up, and that's why they have the titles today. Um, Two felt that he, ha he knew that they would go for his mask, and as a result of that, he had to take precautions by putting a different mask on, double bagging his head, if you like. TA says that it's the greatest Christmas present he's ever had after the hardest match of his life. Nightheart and Reed are interviewed by Jack Curtis. Both men are sat at a table and look devastated by the loss. Curtis reiterates quite harshly that these two are the losers. Reed blames Nightheart for concentrating on taking two's mask off rather than, I quote, beating that sucker. Reed says that he took Nightheart out of nowhere and he made him something in Mid South. The problem with Nightheart is that he thinks he's the boss. Reed blames Nightheart for losing the Mid South heavyweight title and getting painted yellow by the junkyard dog. Nightheart blew it because of his iron head and he should be called Jim the Ironhead Nightheart. Not sure that's going to catch on. 
Nightheart is looking increasingly agitated, tapping his fingers on the table before he ultimately storms off. Reed says he's always going to be the boss, and if people don't like it, they can just leave. Back to Watts, and he says they were going to go. They were going to move on and interview Darso and Volkov backstage. They kept the cameras rolling, and they caught Nightheart going back into the dressing room and confronting Butch Reed. They exchange words again, and Nightheart eventually attacks Reed from behind. Um, it appears from Watts' comments afterwards that Nightheart is the one that's going babyface here, um, which makes the attack when Reed wasn't looking a little bit perplexing. Next up, we have Dugan versus Crusher Darso, and again, it's not a match in the normal television setting. Um, it's back to highlights from the New Orleans show. Um, this is a big departure from the last Superdome show where actually no clips were shown and there wasn't bit really barely a mention on television. Um, and I'm actually probably slightly re- relieved that I don't have to sit through anything other than this extended highlights version um, because cagematch.net, which is a great resource for stuff like this, has informed me that the match ended with a count-out victory by Darso in a mind-bogglingly long 17 minutes 52. Crikey, that sounds pretty painful. Um, after cutting back to the studio, Watts informs us that not only did Dugan lose, but he's also been fined $500 for putting his hands on an official. I think potentially that is going to go down as Dugan's worst ever Christmas. Next up, there's even more filler going back over old clips of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. Must say, this episode is really, really bizarre. Um, I'm guessing with their taping schedule, they could have had some original matches on, albeit, albeit it may have been a bit more tricky from a storyline perspective, given the Christmas show coming up and who had the belts, etc., because the taping would have had to have happened before Christmas, but aired afterwards. Um, however, what this ultimately ended up being was a patched together and unsatisfying collection of clips. Um, they would have been far better off showing the tag team title match in its entirety, separated perhaps with some advert breaks. If they, because if they're giving away footage of the finish of their big Christmas show, they may as well give the, go the whole hog and give the, give the viewers something a bit special, a bit different. Um, this video package of the Midnight Express goes on and on and on before Watts speculates that a match between the Midnight Express and the new tag team champions Magnum TA and Mr. Wrestling 2 could be in store in the future. Then we have a look at the new kid in town, Terry Taylor. Um, I'm sure this would have been better with the original music, but as it is, it's just a very similar collection of the clips that we saw in the previous episode. Again, overly long, but I guess this sort of thing did probably help make it seem like Terry Taylor was something of a star coming in. Um, Watts runs through what we've got next week, which includes Kerry Von Erich, um, and then he's, he talks about another new segment, a new feature, so Mid-South on the Road. So we're going to get more matches on the road from the various venues that Mid-South Wrestling has events in. Um, and we're going to a match from the Oklahoma City Marriott Center, which is an elimination tag between Jim Dugan, Steve Williams, against Skandar Akbar, Kamala and the Missing Link. Um, this is set up with some footage of a truck driving down the road and some presumably skyline shots of Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a word that I discovered while making notes for this podcast that I actually really struggle with. Um, then people queuing to get into an arena, um, all some classic stock country music that I guess WWE Network overdubbed some original music. Um, Ross says it's the biggest, we've got John, sorry, I should say Jim Ross is on commentary, and he says it's the biggest crowd in the history of Oklahoma for pro wrestling. Um, the bottom tier of the arena looks pretty packed, um, top tier is not so, so I'm not sure if that is um, wrestling hyperbole or truth. Um, Jim, the, basically, uh, this is fairly short, clip form again. Um, this match actually took place on November 13th, um, and ultimately the faces won here. Um, during the action, the crowd that was there did seem pretty um, up for this and pretty loud. 
Um, and during the clips, Kamala is DQ'd for jumping off the top rope, which is a classic Bill Wattsism. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. That's it for 1983 and Mid-South Wrestling. Um, these weren't a classic couple of episodes, um, but there's plenty of feuds and storylines that are bubbling away nicely, particularly the continuation of Magnum TA and Mr. Wrestling 2, because by all, you know, by all normal wrestling storyline, this is going to be leading to a turn of one of them at some point, probably Mr. Wrestling 2, but I like the fact that this has been going on for a number of weeks. Um, we've got Kerry Von Eric next week, which is something to look forward to. Um, and I'd like to thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Mid-South Wrestling uh, Moments. And to play us out this week, we're going with the number one in Australia as of December 31st, 1981, Lionel Richie's classic, All Night Long. Speak to you very soon. Let the music take control